the first reading this morning is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 19 to 31. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites, through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. And they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went, until you reached this place. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is also from Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 32 to 46. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his foot on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. <clears throat> but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God has commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, think, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. 
You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Zion all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we start a a sermon series on Deuteronomy on Sunday mornings. The bulk of Deuteronomy is Moses saying goodbye to the people of Israel. The man who led them out of slavery in Egypt and who under God had been their guide through 40 years of wandering in the desert has been told by God that he is not the one who will lead them into the promised land. And as he takes his leave of them, he recaps the events of the past 40 years, reminds them of how they came to be where they are now, and he urges them as they prepare to enter the promised land to commit themselves exclusively and wholeheartedly to the Lord, to renew their covenantal relationship with the God who will go with them into the promised land and deliver it into their hands as they take possession of it. The title of the book, Deuteronomy, means second law. And in his narrative, Moses reminds the people how they receive the Ten Commandments. So here in this book, for the second time, the Ten Commandments are set out. And we'll be looking at those in the evening services over the next few weeks. Why study Deuteronomy? Well, a year ago, we followed the story of Exodus, and we left the Israelites in the wilderness after they'd received the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy, Moses, in his recap, rather conveniently sums up the events that take place in the second part of the book of Exodus and in Numbers. And so if we're going to follow the story of God's people, and it's a good thing to do, it seems sensible to use Moses' relatively concise summary of those events in Deuteronomy rather than the far longer record in Exodus and Numbers. I know some of you don't enjoy the Old Testament that much. So you may be relieved to know that skipping through the first 10 chapters of Deuteronomy means that we will cover material that otherwise we'd be following in 13 chapters of Exodus, 17 chapters of Leviticus and 36 chapters of Numbers. So it will take a quarter of the time if we start with the beginning of Deuteronomy. There's a vast amount of value and importance in those books of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, but I'm aware that not everyone has the stomach for it just at the moment. So Deuteronomy, it is. But the decision to go through Deuteronomy isn't just a matter of of following a desire to give a sense of the flow of the narrative of God's dealings with his people in the early part of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, God's people stand on the threshold of the promised land, right on the edge. They are just about to fulfil God's purposes for them for the past 40 years. It's a decisive moment, and it's a scary moment for them. 
And this book contains a clear call to them before they take that step to renew their covenantal commitment to God, to trust him wholeheartedly, to obey his commandments. Here in Brighton Road, we too stand on the very edge, the very beginning of what looks like it could be a decisive year in our life together. The past couple of years or so, thankfully not the past 40, but the past couple of years or so have been a bit of a wilderness experience for us. But this summer we took the important decision to look to appointing a leader of community evangelism, recognising that as a church we need to grow. And we believe that is God's will and purpose for us. And what's more, we want to grow by people coming to faith rather than simply by drawing people away from other churches in the town. That is a big step of faith for us as a church. And I really do thank God for the clear sense of being led in this direction. But as we stand on the edge of this coming year and we look ahead into what is a bit uncertain, I wonder how you feel. Excited? Expectant, enthusiastic, a bit apprehensive, concerned, unsure. Is this really the right step to take? Are lots at stake? Is there anxiety that we might miss the boat or be unable to find the right person or end up appointing someone who isn't really suitable? Or maybe, depending which way the wind is blowing, you shuffle through all of those on a fairly random basis. Well, if that's the case, then maybe Deuteronomy is God's word to us at this time. Because the people of Israel, preparing to go into the promised land, would have felt all these things magnified a hundredfold. So we need to hear what God says to us through Deuteronomy at this stage in our journey together. The problem for Israel, you see, was that they, they didn't have a lot of confidence because they'd been in this position once before and they flunked it. Moses reminds them of that episode in the opening chapter of this book. It's a bit easy to lose track of who Moses is talking to in Deuteronomy. When he addresses the people about their failure to enter the promised land, he talks to them as if they were the ones who bottled out and turned back. But actually... As becomes clear towards the end of the chapter, the generation who didn't have the guts to go into the promised land, they're all dead and buried in the wilderness. Only three of them are left at this point in time. Moses, who is never going to enter the promised land himself. Joshua, Moses' assistant, who has been earmarked as Moses' successor. And Caleb who together with Joshua had been one of the spies sent out to reconnoitre the land 40 years before. Both Caleb and Joshua had come back from their expedition, raving about what a wonderful place Canaan was and fully confident that with God's help they could take on the inhabitants. But the other 10 spies came back saying, yeah, it's a a great land, but we're utterly intimidated by what we've seen in terms of the size and the strength of the inhabitants, 
the impregnable fortifications that protect their cities that just seem to go up to the sky. We don't stand a chance against these people. And the other ten spies sowed fear in the hearts of the people, demoralising them, undermining their confidence in God to the point where the people, instead of trusting in God's faithfulness, began to wonder, actually, can we trust God at all? Is God on our side? Is God opposed to us? Does God even hate us? Is he just playing games with us? Has he brought us out of the relative safety of slavery in Egypt to have us slaughtered at the hands of the Amorites? And so they murmured, and they muttered, and they whispered to each other in their tents. They found fault. They complained. They grumbled. And they undermined each other, and they lost heart. Their resolution, their confidence, their commitment dwindled and melted away into fear. And they blamed the spies for this. Our brothers made us lose heart. It was their fault. That's what they said. But in actual fact, they did it to themselves and to each other. It was all the negative muttering in their tents that really did the damage. Because the more they talked about how unhappy they were and how uncertain they were and how daunting and difficult it all looked, the more real their fears became and the harder it became for them to put their trust in God. Bottom line was they didn't listen to the Lord. They didn't listen to Moses. They didn't listen to Caleb or Joshua. They listened to those whose predictions of defeat or disaster chimed in with their own fears. And their sense of despair grew to the point where it eclipsed all trust and confidence in God. And they missed the boat because of it. So friends, as we enter this year, we need to be careful what we say to each other and how we say it. Because for some of us, our faith in God is a fragile thing and it's easily undermined. So when we go home from church meetings, mutter in our bedrooms to each other, be careful what we say and how we say it. I'm not saying we need to be gung-ho and press on ahead in the blithe assumption that everything will be fine. The people of Israel acted appropriately when they suggested sending spies ahead to check out their route and see what awaited them when they crossed into the land of Canaan. And the report that the spies brought back was factually accurate. But people, when they heard what they were up against, responded with fear rather than with faith. And despite God's goodness and faithfulness to them up until this point in time, when it came down to it, they were more scared of the future than they were prepared to put their trust in God. So as we venture into this coming year together, let me encourage us all to do so as people of faith, not people of fear. Let's lift our eyes to God 
listen to what he has to say. Trust him and put our confidence in him. It is a daunting prospect. This coming year is one in which momentous decisions may be taken. It's a year in which we are deeply conscious of the need to get things right. It's a year in which God might surprise and challenge us in unexpected ways. And it will certainly be a year in which we need to listen to and discern his voice. And one of the lessons I've learned over the years in terms of being able to recognise God's voice is that God doesn't speak with the voice of fear. On the contrary, when God asks us to do do things that are really scary, he puts us in a position where we have to rely on him. And if there are fears, we need to express those to him in our prayers. But if an option doesn't look good because we're afraid of what the results might be, that's not a good reason not to do it. As a colleague said to me the other year, if you're not out of your comfort zone, you're probably not where God wants you to be. God puts you in situations where it is daunting, where it is scary, because there we have to rely on him. And I think it was Rowan Williams, the last Archbishop of Canterbury, said the best incentive to prayer is to find yourself in a position where you have to pray to God. Because if without God, you know you're not going to make it. And maybe God puts us in that position. So one lesson I've learned is that, yeah, God doesn't speak to us with the voice of fear. The other lesson I've learned over the years is that negativity breeds behind closed doors. It thrived on all those whispered conversations after dark in people's tents. And it really becomes destructive when disaffected people gather together to bolster a shared sense of grievance. Friends, if we are to be a people of faith rather than a people of fear, we need to walk in the light with each other over this. Because fears grow in the dark, but faith comes out into the open. None of us knows what the coming year will bring. But the single most important truth is that God is with us. That's a truth that kept on cropping up last year in Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst and he is mighty to save. And for many of us over that, this past year, that truth has enabled us to face the future with confidence rather than with dismay. And like the generation of the people of Israel standing on the borders of the Promised Land for the second time, we know that here at Brighton Road we face a choice between giving up in fear and going on in faith. And going on is the scary option. But the clear lesson we learn from Israel's experience is that bottling out is a disaster. Because the generation that refused the challenge of entering the promised land frittered away the next 40 years in the wilderness. And we haven't got 40 years. We haven't really got 10 years. If you look around, how many of us will still be here, fit and well and strong in 10 years' time? 
This, this is a decisive moment for us as a church. So let's listen to God and face the challenges that come as people of faith. Let's not be like those who drew back and turned around and took the safe path back into the wilderness. Let's learn the lesson from their example and be people who recognise and believe that God is in our midst. So we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be discouraged. But let's listen for his voice of guidance. And let's commit ourselves together, heart and soul, to the Lord our God who carries us as a father carries his son and who goes ahead of us. So do what the Lord says in this coming year. Go up. Take possession of the land. The Lord your God is on your side and he will fight for you. Let's pray. Lord our God, give us humility. We need that because we don't always get it right. Give us humility before your word to acknowledge your lordship, your sovereignty, to seek your will, not ours. Give us humility as we listen to each other to be able to discern your voice through what is said. Give us humility as we speak, that we may not push our own agenda, but we might help each other to find your will, your direction, your purpose. We gather here in this place, united by the direct declaration that Jesus is Lord. Thank you that that is true. And we thank you that Jesus, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. So take us forward on the right path and in your goodness make us people of faith, not people of fear. For we ask it in your name and for your glory. Amen.